welcome to the Top Order Podcast, a bumper edition. It's our 100th episode, and it's so much content that we're actually going to fit it into two episodes, part A and part B. There's going to be continuity issues all over the shop, but what you're going to find in part A is our This Week in Cricket. We're going to talk about the Super Smash Finals. We're going to talk about the New Zealand-England Women's Series that's coming up, um, and a whole host of other things as well, the New Zealand-Australia squad uh, for one thing. We're then going to have part two, uh, which will be coming up in your feed, that's going to cover the IPL auction, England versus India. Um, and back in that first episode, we're even going to cover our favourite hundreds from around the world. It's a bit of a mishmash, but it's a hundred part A and a hundred part B coming up on the Top Order podcast. And first, a word from our sponsor. So Baldy by name, Baldy by nature. I'm going to leave you to talk about an exciting partnership that we're going to be building with the guys over at Manscaped. Thanks, Binksy. Well, listeners of the Top Order podcast will be well aware of the dreaded pair, or at least having their bales trimmed from time to time. Actually happened in a match uh, that I was playing on Saturday. So a lesson for the batsman, make sure not to expose your stump behind your legs. But no one wants a dreaded pair, and with the advent of the DRS, that's the downstairs rainforest situation, I'm told, Binksy, it's more important than ever to look after your pair. And now with Manscaped.com, you'll never nick off, get caught in a slip, or have a dreaded pair again. We were very lucky, actually, that the guys at Manscaped have sent us their latest Lawn Mower 3.0 to try out, and perhaps even luckier that they sent us one each and avoided the dreaded sharing situation. But while you're on their website, that's manscaped.com, check out the Lawn Mower 3.0 and actually some of their other product names. Kudos to their marketing department because their product naming is superb. And when you visit manscaped.com, you'll save 20% and get free shipping with the special code TOPORDER, that's T-O-P-O-R-D-E-R, at checkout. You know how it works. Get on over to manscaped.com and use Top Order for 20% off with free shipping on their great range of products. Lads, look, at the end of the day, a man's home is his castle. So look at the lawn around your castle with the lens, uh, with the Lawnmower 3.0 and our range of quality accessories uh, and keep it looking, feeling as smooth as a cover drive. So that's head on over to manscaped.com. Use Top Order for your next purchase uh, for 20% off with free shipping. Good areas, boys. Baldy, that's uh, beautiful. So, yeah, we, we got the old manscapers, not for sharing, but certainly for shearing, one would say. But look, <laughs> let's, uh, let's kick off with the podcast. So we've got a few little bits uh, to get round, um, a li- I guess a little bit like your shaver. But um, <laughs> West Indies, Bangladesh, another win for the boys in Maroon. That's incredible, isn't it? Because, yeah, we're obviously talking about the, the series coming up when they'd just been demolished in those three ODIs. It didn't look good for them. Shakib was back. You know, Bangladesh in their home conditions are a really tricky outfit, but they've they've just come strong. The West Indies and in, in won both games. This is a very narrow one. Seventeen again. I don't know if all you guys saw that Raheem Cornwall picture. It looked like the whole team was climbing up his back. Just one of the photos of the year, I reckon. An iconic image and a and a tremendous series from the West Indies. Really, no one expected them. A bit like India in Australia. No one expected them to to be this successful. Um, I'm really, really pleased for some of the for the young guys in that side, all the guys new to Test Cricket and Kunrabona, 90, Josh De Silva, who we really liked in his tour to, to New Zealand. He made 92 in the first innings. Alzari Joseph showing his batting chops as well as his bowling chops. He's made a couple of 80s in Test Cricket now. Looks a real likely character at number eight. Bowls good wheels as well. And then uh, your man, Stu, uh, Rakeem Cornwall, nine wickets in the match. Can you talk us through it? 
Oh, it's just brilliant, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it, it's going to raise the question for them because Roston Chase has obviously been their number one spinner. Mm. He's you know seen as a, a higher top world batsman, but you know if Raheem Cornwall is their number one spinner and can show that, particularly in subcontinent conditions, that he can be their number one spinner, then they're going to have to think about the balance of that squad. And mm. and as you've said, all these guys putting their hand up, it's it's such a positive, I guess, when you have this sort of scenario where. Things can go horribly wrong and you can get smashed and everyone loses confidence. And this is the complete reverse where you get people putting their hand up and saying, now I should be in the team full time. And that West Indies lower middle order looking real solid. Again, if you put De Silva in there at six, Holder at seven, Elzari Joseph at eight and potentially Rakeem Cornwall at nine, Mm. that's where the bulk of their runs are going to continue to come from, really. I, I think the key is that batting that you're talking about. But in this in this game or the second second test of the series, it kind of showed you know the Jekyll and Hyde nature of the West Indies. Mm. In the first innings, they put up four hundred and nine, three three half centuries along the way. Everybody pitching in, but then in the third innings, they're falling apart a little bit. Yep. But uh, look, I think that they will be absolutely wrapped with this result. They've had, like we said last time, their third series on the bounce away, and they've won some. Won, won, they've played some good cricket, and mm. they have won the series. Yeah, and great for them that they're going to get some home cricket, isn't it? I think, Absolutely. Um, you know, they've been the genuine good guys of world cricket um, on that sort of first COVID bubble tour to England. And from there, you know, a number of away series. So, yeah, great to see some cricket in the in the Caribbean as well. I know we did mention uh, our friend Rick in Cornwall. There's been talk about him for a while. This isn't the first time. Mm. Why do you think it took t- took so long to get him in there bowling as the first choice spinner? Oh, look, I mean, I don't know enough about West Indies cricket and how that's all worked. I mean, I, I think if you think, you know, if you think about how spin is treated in, in many countries, the person, if there's sort of two people vying for a spot, the person who's seen as the better batter gets the, gets the gig and, and Roston Chase probably has got it for that reason. And I guess Chase did a decent job in, in England when, when you know, when the two of them did play at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I mean, the, um, if you want more about West Indies cricket, I would recommend the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. The, the guys there do a really great job, and, um, you know, they, they know certainly a lot more about West Indies cricket than us. But, yeah, I would say it's that batting stuff. But, you know, I'm very biased, but you always want to see the best spinner, and particularly if they can take wickets and, and put yourself in a position to win the game. And from spin to top order batting, we've seen a retirement this week as well, Faf Duplessis. Um, going from the test cricket, at least, for South Africa. Surprised or, or not? Not particularly. I think that there's probably a changing of the guard now, well in full swing in terms of that South African test side. They're going to lose a leader on the field from a from a follow-me-do-what-I-do kind of thing in, in Faf Tuplessis, and he's been a talisman for them for a, a long, long time. Um, he's going to focus on, on short-form cricket with an eye to probably the next two T20 World Cups in India and then maybe the 2023 one-day World Cup as is swan song potentially. But um, South Africa are going to lose a, a massive stalwart in their cricket side and, and they're going to have a, yet another hole to fill in that batting order. I just wonder whether there's something under the covers here of South African cricket at the moment. We spoke a few weeks ago to Fados Munda. We talked about that lack of real talent in the leadership department for South Africa. Quinton de Kock obviously is now going to be standing down as test skipper. I know that potentially having an ex-skipper in the side doesn't always help you move on from a cultural perspective, but it just seems to me that, you know, all might not be quite right in the state of Denmark when it comes to South African cricket at the moment. I do think there's those administri- administrative 
issues that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. But I, I just get the feeling that Faf is just just done with the politics that mm. that, that is just around. Yeah. When we did talk to um, Miss Munda, uh, she she talked about you know comments that Faf made, and I don't for one th second think that he has a problem with you know racial tension or mm. anything like that. I think he's a stand up guy, but just having to walk in those eggshells and always having to watch what you say. I think it just gets too much sometimes when he can go and be a mercenary playing 2020 all around the world. And I think that's going to extend his career by a couple of years, right? So he's not having to do another bubble. He becomes a one, two format player at most and he can extend his international career for two more years. He's 38 then, three more years of, you know, franchise cricket after that and he retires you know with probably a couple of million in his, in his bank account and, and a pretty good record to his name. Yeah, it's not all bad, is it really? We'll move on to the Super Smash final. So let's talk about the the women first. The Magicians pulling off an unlikely victory to chase down the Blazers' uh, 125 uh, runs. Lippy, what do you want to say about this? Oh, I mean, just an awesome effort. And I mean, I guess the, the finals day in general was just, it was such a great advertisement for cricket in New Zealand. And, and I guess the strength of New Zealand cricket, because we saw a, a you know pretty much packed house at the Basin in terms of, yeah, just the bank was full. It was a great day. Two really great close encounters. And, I mean, on the, on the women's side, we saw Wellington, Sophie Devine put put some runs on the board. Their top order, you know, got going. And then they kind of collapsed at the end there, mm. lost their last six wickets, I think, for, for 25 yeah, runs or something. Yeah, Amy Satisfaite, an unlikely hero with the ball, three for 13 and three runouts as well. Uh, it's amazing what, what can happen in a final when you're under a bit of pressure. Runouts can, can really change the course of a game. Oh, and that's what we, we talked about in that uh, eliminator in terms of, or maybe before the eliminator, in terms of Wellington's lower order and middle order, that they haven't really had to do anything, you know? And then that, that kind of showed its its face there in the final. But still, at halfway through the Canterbury innings, it looked like it was all going to be a Wellington Blaze victory again. Amelia Kerr doing a Wazzy Macram impression, three, a hat-trick, three bolds in a row. Baldy, you'd have loved that. Three wrong-ins, how good? How good. I love a good wrong-in. But, you know, just remarkable then that, that the Magicians turned it around. An amazing innings from Leah Tahu, who just came in. The final three, final four overs of that game, I guess, showcased the the quality of the White Ferns, and it was the four bowlers. I think she had to face was Jess Kerr, Amelia Kerr, Sophie Devine, and uh, Lee Kasperovic in the the final four overs of that game. Which you know, all White Ferns players facing up against Leah Tahu, who another White Fern, Kate Ibrahim, who was or just come back into the White Ferns setup again after a bit of time out. So. You know, as I said, just a great advertisement and what a win from, from Canterbury. Great effort. Should we talk about the men's game? Canterbury and the Wellington Firebirds in, in the men's final. Another good encounter? Oh, absolutely. And, um, I mean, I think the thing to talk about there is, is Devin Conway again. I mean, what, what a cricketer he is turning into. I mean, you know, we've we've talked about him for years in terms of the, the domestic scene and I guess what an impact he's having for Wellington He's now been elevated to New Zealand. He's looked all class there whenever he's been called upon. But, you know, he just paced the innings so perfectly well. Finn Allen's been the star for them, getting them off to a rocketing start. He got out early in this game, but Devin Conway just batted the whole way through and oh, it was just absolute quality. And, you know, Firebirds go back to back, very impressive. And um, moving on to cricket that's coming up in New Zealand. So, Obviously, the England women's team had a couple of warm-up games, 1-1, uh, and got pasted in one as well. What are we looking forward to in, in that series from a, a cricketing perspective? 
I think for New Zealand, the White Ferns, they're really, uh, they've really got a. It's a great test for them coming up against England and Australia. Obviously, two of the better sides in in world's cr- world cricket, and we just really didn't. The, you know, the last White Ferns cricket that we saw is that tour to Australia that just didn't really go. I mean, didn't go well as a pretty uh, pretty much an understatement. They you know they showed some signs. Someone like Amelia Kerr really showed she belongs mm. in that top echelon. Sophie Devine didn't have a great series, and we just. Yeah, struggled around the edges and, and you know completely outclassed by Australia. But now we're going to get the opportunity in our own conditions to kind of right those wrongs, hopefully, and you know make steps towards this World Cup that's that's next summer. I, I think before we leave this little segment, I did want to make a little comment about Spark Sport because I, I, we've been really really positive about their coverage and everything they've done this season. I think they've made a real error here in the Super Smash Finals in the highlights packages. Absolutely dreadful. They they go from about they go. For, I think the women's one goes for five minutes. The men's one goes for about eight minutes. You kind of get all the standard stuff, and then the last. I think the men's one it goes from the the final four balls. The men's uh, the Canterbury game. The Canterbury guys had scored about 176. I think they was 175. You, the final four balls you see on the highlights are Wellington losing a wicket at 102, losing a wicket at 145, second to last ball of the game, and the final ball. And then it was pretty similar kind of case in the Wellington uh, in the Wellington Blaze Canterbury Magicians one. So you pretty much missed the whole. You, know, you saw Amelia Kerr's hat trick, and then you pretty much just missed Leah Tahuhu's great innings. You saw one of her sixes off Jess Kerr, I think. And then, you know, the, the oh, actually, I think you missed the, the two sixes off Jess Kerr and then the one six to win the game near, nearly at the end. It's I think they've done a great job. I just, I don't know what was going through their head there because, you know, that that's the key moment of the match and you just missed, you just missed all the drama there. Watch it live, mate. I know, I know, and I did. And I did and I enjoyed it. I just wanted, you know... Wanted all the other fans to enjoy what what you enjoyed. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out because we've been we've given them a lot of praise this summer. I'd love the on demand sort of service. I think it's really good, but yeah, I, I don't I don't think they've they've done a great job there. So we're going to see three women's one day internationals followed by three T twenties playing at some good grounds as well. So they're playing down at Hagley University Oval in Dunedin. We'll finish the uh, one day internationals, then they move to. Wellington, Eden Park and the Bay Oval um, at the Mount um, for the final of those three T20s. Um, and look, as Lippy said, we're all available on Spark Sports. So <laughs> look, I'm sure we'll, we'll all be tuning in. Before we leave New Zealand cricket for a moment, the squad has been announced for the games against Australia. So five T20s starting Monday night. So tomorrow night, um, as we record this podcast here on a Sunday. The tour's almost sold out, which is great news. Um, and look, I guess for our international listeners, um, shows you know the privileged position that we are largely in here in New Zealand. Auckland still under some restrictions from uh, its latest little outbreak of COVID, but the rest of the country pretty much free to go about its business and we'll be seeing um, some sold-out crowds around the country. Um, what do we want to talk about in terms of this squad? I guess that sort of injury cover um, for Martin Guptill in Finn Allen, who we've talked about a lot on the podcast last two or three weeks, but looks like Guppy will be fit. Do we have an update on that? Yeah, Guppy is Guppy is fit. It sounds like. I mean, what do you make of Guppy Raj? Because there's been a lot of 
a lot of criticism about his selection this time round. Everyone, I'm sort of. There's been, a, you know, on social media, obviously, is not the, not the place to look, but there's been a lot of, geez, I hope Guptill fails because we want to get him out of the squad and, you know, a lot of a lot of negative stuff. I mean, where do you stand on, on where he should be at the uh, With Guptill, I think that, that that is his spot, uh, opening the batting in the coloured clothing. I think that he has to lose that. In saying that, there is a lot of pressure on him mm. to score runs, but he's he has done the job in the past, and if I had to pick the top four batsmen in New Zealand that I wanted in in that top four, he's in there. So he's in the top four best batsmen in the short-form game that I want in there at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I feel similarly in, in that I want him to succeed. But as you say, there, there's been, you know, he has to he has to perform now. I feel like this five T20 series, we, we need a score from him now. He's looked quite good in the games that, are, you know, the the T20 series is at home. He'll he'll come in. He'll look nice and comfortable. It's not like he looks like he's out of place or anything anymore. Comes in, he hits a six, hits a four, and then just gets out. Hits mm. one to mid off, or you know, just gets out. So, I but I do think we need to to see something from him. He'll be on the plane to India, no doubt about it. He's got seven games to get himself right for for that trip to India. There's lots of guys in and around the squad that can step up if they're required to, and they have in in various situations throughout the summer. But this is just a tune up. For New Zealand, this is a, a big warm-up um, stretch of matches against Australia, and then again against Bangladesh before you before we head to India. And this is an opportunity for those guys to get themselves ready. So I see they've got fourteen players with with Finau on, on standby. Is there any split, or, or are they all all available for every game at this stage? I believe it's just a thirteen-man squad with yeah Finau on on injury cover. So you know it's it's quite a narrow squad in terms of that for a, for a five-match series. You know we saw the Test match guys in and out. Uh, for the the other home summers uh, home T20s we've seen so far this summer, but you know it's it's an interesting one because there's there's so there's there's sort of a lot of depth in New Zealand cricket and and a lot of uh, particularly you know kind of the the fringe guys right so like your your batters so your Mark Chapman is in the squad as your reserve batter I would say but you've got guys like George Worker Ross Taylor Colin Monroe even Daryl Mitchell's had a great summer. Mm. You know those kind of people are Finn Allen is is in the squad. Those those people are vying for that spot, and then you've got the seamers where you've got Bennett is the one who's probably your seam bowling injury cover. But then you've got Duffy, Tickner, Bracewell, Kugeline, Adam Milne had a great uh, big bash big tournament. Bash yeah. tournament. Mm. You've got Lockie Ferguson coming back from injury. There's still a lot of question marks for me. And you've got Steady quoted in the media saying that they might take a, an enlarged squad um, due to COVID to that T20 World Cup. I, I guess in some ways, like you'd, you'd always say, look, hey, I've got more options on the plane. But sometimes maybe having 20 people, which is what Gary Stead's mentioned, don't, there's no word yet, I don't think, on the official squad sizes for that T20 World Cup. But you've got to think they're going to be increased. Um, when you look at the way that the teams plan, nowadays they are just so diligent with how they're going to work that you can almost see one of those situations where you get those bolters coming into the mix really really late when normally you would just have your 16 absolutely settled they know their role they know the role they're covering if someone goes down on the game day of a game but to have 20 people you actually might see some teams diverting away from what's actually got them to the stage where they're you know really at the races for these t20 um, competition so yeah that's going to be really interesting to see that plays out yeah and it maybe you know maybe maybe it's nothing but and it could have been a very revealing comment that uh gary said in that uh in that same piece of media i think that 
you know, we may sit, that may mean we may see some people that haven't played for New Zealand because, and I, I guess that's on the, the sense of we've picked a very small squad here. Mm. You know, why didn't you blood some guys and give them an opportunity? But I guess they're saying, look, we're happy to pick guys that haven't played for New Zealand. We don't need to see them now. They've obviously gone down the, the pathway of we're just going to pick our best side. I mean, that that's the your other option is to blood all these players and give, you know, Duffy and Tickner and all these other guys another run and mm. say, okay, you know, Trent, Tim Southey, you're all well on the plane anyway. But, I mean, you know, Ra- I mean, Raj, are we thinking we're going to, like, should we be winning this series? That Australia's brought a, you know, a, a, not a B-side because there's a lot of players in the Australian T20 side who only play the, the white ball stuff, but there's certainly some big names missing. Yeah, I think that before we jump into the Australians, I think that we should be expecting to win this series. Mm. We've got players there who are in form. They've been picked on form, which is important, especially with the bat. And then you've got the old-timers there with the ball. I noticed the two spinners, Ish and, and Santner. Do you think that they will play... Mark Chapman might have a spin role in there? I don't know. It may, possibly. But I think I think Ish and... Um, I, think, I think that's probably, you know, if I'm looking further forward, I think potentially that's why Chapman it has the edge over some of those other, you know, backup batsmen because of the role he can play potentially in India, getting through one or two more overs. Yeah, 100%. I guess for me, what I'm looking for this series is I want this to be Devin Conway's series. Mm-hmm. I want him to take it by the, by the scruff of the neck and win games for us. Baldy, of the Kiwis, who are you most looking forward to seeing? Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing what middle order combination you guys go with. You've got three ter- terrific middle order players there in Nisham, Jamison and Santner. Um, who can be devastating with both bat and ball. Mitchell Santner, uh, an unlikely-looking uh, hard-hitting cricketer, but seems to find the fence uh, regularly when the, when the game's on the line. So of those three guys, it'll be interesting to see what balance New Zealand goes with in that series and whether they play their hand or they hold something back. I feel like Gary Stead might hold something back from Australia a little bit and not show them all, all of their tricks. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Seifert and, um, and uh, your man, uh, where is he? Is he here? Where's Phillips? Glenn Phillips? Yeah, Glenn Phillips. Yeah, he's there. I'm looking forward to seeing what those guys do at the top of the order. I think they can be devastating. And if any one of our Richardsons or Berendorf get it wrong in those first few overs, they might go a long, long way. Yeah, I think you're spot on in terms of. I think we have to win the series in terms of just our. I don't know the the stigma and the 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 feeling for New Zealand cricket because we just lose to Australia all the time. Like it's not even. Yeah, we we just we might be playing great cricket. And we just lose to Australia. It, we can't get over that hump. They've now brought, you know, a lift a, a bunch of good players at home. I think we have to win this series. I don't think Australia will be giving any quarter, and they will not want to have any psychological advantage going to New Zealand in the lead up to India. Because if we meet you guys in the quarter final or a semi final in that World T20, there's no way that Aaron Finch will want Kane Williamson and his boys thinking that they've got a psychological edge over Australia. He'll want it to be the other way around. Yes, we've left players at home, but that's because we had a, a concurrent tour to South Africa planned for all of our test players. So, you know, Warner, Smith, Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, not available uh, until that test match series was cancelled. But our boys will not be giving any quarter, even though that side looks like an experimental side. And there's one or two areas, uh, particularly at that number four or five position, I'm very keen to see if they give Ben McDermott or Ashton Turner a run, as opposed to trotting out Mitchell March, Mitchell Marsh, which will be the safe option. Well, all those guys want to get on the plane, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's lots, there's lots, lots for Australia to play for in that series because there's guys who are on the fringe who will want to be on the plane in, in nine months' time. 
Yeah, and look, I think as an outsider looking into that, I think that that's where Australia have got more questions about their squad than New Zealand have, right? They've got, um, yeah, some middle order questions to potentially ask who's going to be the spinner that they're going to use or the spinners that they're going to use. Yeah. Uh, and even some opportunities from a, uh, yeah, from a seeming perspective. I also just think it's, re- you know, really interesting that, you know, there's some of the guys that keep going around without really nailing down that spot. Berendorf. Berendorf. In the batting, like Maxwell has had a lot of chances. There's no doubting his talent. Mm. Um, but, you know, at some point, he's actually got to do that in a big world tournament. And he's yep. running out of world tournaments to do that in, isn't he? I'm pretty confident with Maxwell, really. I think Maxwell and Stoinis in the middle order, I'm okay with. We need to find that number six guy. Whether he sort of fits in at number four and bat, uh, Maxwell and Stoinis bat five and six, I don't know what the role that the selectors or the, or the captain will give to those guys. The more clear about Maxwell is about his role, the se- it seems the better he plays. The more uncertainty he has, the, the he just plays terribly. Um, so I'm hoping that moving forward, the first person you lock in is Maxwell and goes, this is what you're going to do, and then everything else shuffles around him. The big question I've got is, can Aaron Finch make enough runs to force his way onto that plane, or will there be continued questions being made by you know members of the media, people who are around that Australian squad, going, look, is, is there a better option at the top of the order? Oh, you're the first person to stand up for Aaron Finch and his white ball record. What does he have to prove? He has to prove nothing to me. I think there are a lot of people out there that are highly critical of the fact that he couldn't buy a run in the IPL and he couldn't buy a run in the Big Bash. He's had a lean run of form. His white ball form for like one-day cricket for Australia is actually okay. But the last two domestic tournaments he's played, he's struggled. So if he can get one or two big scores in this tournament and just get a little bit of mojo back, it's a bit like Guptill really. All he needs is one shot. And he's back. You know what I mean? If he gets bowled through the gate a couple of times by Trent Bolt, if he swings one into his pads or whatever, it's, he's going to struggle. But if he can get away, then I think he'll be fine. And, and he's probably not that concerned about his own form. I think this is all external. Yeah. And look, there isn't really... We've talked about Australian leadership options. There's almost less in that one-day group than there is in and around that test match group. So yep. I think he gets on um, the plane. Tenuous link back to New Zealand cricket. We've got to give a shout out um, to Cole Briggs, East Coast Bay's boy. has had a pretty decent start to his um, first class or certainly uh, Auckland career, Lippy. Oh, look, amazing. Yeah, 100, 100 on list day debut for, for Auckland on Friday and uh, 99 today for, for Cole. I was talking to one of the East Coast Bay's guys yesterday and said that that was his first first 100 in, uh, in, in any form of cricket. So... Just remarkable, and you wouldn't meet a nicer guy. So, yeah, all, all credit for Cole, and, and, yeah, wish him all the success. Terrific. Just just terrific for the young man to get an opportunity opening the batting and to go bang, bang, and get 101 and 99. Just incredible. Good, yeah. good, Well done, fella. And yeah. we had a, bit, a brief chat with him on our live commentary stint of the um, Auckland uh, men's uh, T20 final. So, um, yeah, we'll hopefully get uh, a few more future stars of the game as we make our way around the grounds and do a bit more commentary work over the next few weeks as well. Do you think it's... To do with the hitouts he's been having on a Monday night. Oh, I mean, it's got to be, doesn't it? Absolutely. Facing Baldy. Oh, he smashed me. <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely pumped me. Uh, look, no, he, he's been he's been fantastic. He he, he just loves cricket. He, I'm sure he's going to have one of those for the love of the game clauses in his contract for the rest of his career because he just can't stop playing cricket. And, and he's such a nice fella, works hard, brilliant. Yeah, I, I did want to say he, he is a really nice fella, one of the nicest you'll see going around the club scene. But he's obviously been able to do the work with the bat and he is a wicketkeeper, and that that's his first discipline. So I'm, I'm hoping that he can get a real opportunity mm. with the uh, Aces. Well, look, that just about wraps up this segment. Um, and as mentioned at the top of the podcast, we'll also have a little chat about our favourite 
hundreds that we've watched um, to mark our hundredth episode. And Michael Baldwin has been very kind. We've all been the proud recipients of a lovely bottle of Jim Barry's The Cover Drive Cabernet Sauvignon, which we've got a little inscription on the back of the bottle for our hundred um, episode. So uh, a virtual cheers to Baldy for that. But we'll be back after the swish to talk heaps and heaps more cricket. Welcome back to the pod. So to commemorate our 100th episode, we're all going to pick our favourite hundreds. Some of them that we've witnessed and others that we haven't. Baldy, um, I think the brief was that we'd witnessed these. So you fired up the flux capacitor um, and gone back. I did. You've gone back, you've got up to 88 miles an hour and gone back to 1930, um, Headingley. Um, Leeds. Interestingly, I've played a game at Headingley, just if you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, now I do. It wasn't this one. but No, yeah. not this one. Uh, I'm going back 91 years to a record that still stands today. The scoreboard reads remarkable at the end of the first day. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. To 309 in a day on the first day at Headingley. He came in at 1 for 11. In the 11th, sorry, in the 11th ball of the day, he had 115 before lunch. He had 200 by tee and in a lazy third session only managed to get 89 to finish the day 309 not out at the end of the first day of that test at, of that third test at Headingley. As a 21-year-old on his first tour to England, he'd played four test matches in the Australian home summer, was dropped after the first test, came to England as a 21-year-old and scored 974 runs in seven innings against an English attack that featured Tate. Uh, it featured a number of fast bowlers that made their way into halls of fame for their counties and, and for England. Um, records that still stand to this day. No one has ever scored 300 in a day in test cricket in the, in the preceding 91 years. No one has ever scored any more runs in a series that Bradman scored in, 19, uh, in 1930, scored 974 runs at an average of 139. And the most memorable part of this whole thing is that this was the series that created Bodyline. It was after this tour that England decided between Jardine and, and Larwood that they would employ their fast leg theory to Bradman in Australia, where he only averaged 50, uh, 56, I think it was, in that test series in 1932-3. So the most memorable 100, the first one that came to my mind is Bradman scores 300 in a day, and that's my, um, that's my story I wanted to share with you. Well, technically, you've got three there, Baldy. I've got three hundred. How, how did he back up on day two? <laughs> he only made he so he ended up with three thirty four, right? So he was dismissed on the second day on, on three thirty four. So I imagine he thought, well, "I'm going to cash in on, on day two. Um, but there, there's there, there are lovely articles online that you can read and, and get, that tell the, the oral history of the, of that three hundred. Um, you know, uh, Yorkshireman in the ground going, "Ah, oh, it'll be all right. It got a bit." Of, but that's a terrible Why is accent. he from Afghanistan? I don't. Edit out the accent. But, um, no, definitely don't. Fantastic quotes, you know. With a bit of work, he could turn into a decent cricketer, this young lad, you know, at 21 years old. So um, that was my memory that I wanted to share. I wasn't there. Um, unless I get a time machine in my lifetime, I'll never get to go and see it. But that's the one innings I would like to go and see. Well, well I'm on a hazard. We're not going to have such an articulate response from anyone else around the table. So without further ado, we're going to write That's a bit rough. Yes, yeah. um, yeah, so so my my uh, memory is actually one that I was I was able to see live. So I'll set the scene for you. It's two thousand and nine, eighteenth of March, or well, it's actually the nineteenth of March. It is a Thursday night, and Sachin Tendulkar has ended the day seventeen not out, and I've just looked across 
hey, my friends, I'm watching the cricket with us. I said, I'm gone. I'm going to the game down to Hamilton. I'm going to go watch this. So I went down there on the Friday morning and I watched the great man uh, end up on 160. Uh, it's just an absolute dream for me watching him bat and score 100. It was his 42nd Test 100. Uh, just just some stats around that game because I thought it was quite cool. India did win that game by 10 wickets. But uh, one Jesse Ryder scored 100 mm. in the first innings. Dan Vittori also scored 100 in the first innings. And New Zealand made 279. Uh, which is Jeez. which, which is uh, interesting. And, and India replied with 520, and then uh, New Zealand got the exact same score in the second innings, with only one person, two people getting past 50. But uh, look, it was a real, a real sort of uh, dream of mine to see that happen and him score those runs. Uh, I just want to, I just want to read off the Indian top top seven. Let's have a look at how this looks on paper. So we've got Gambia, Savag. Dravid, Tendulkar, Lakshman, Yuvraj Singh, and, and MS Dhoni. Not bad. That's a pretty good top seven. Um, yeah, that's my memory. This was really memorable for me. Can you, so obviously you grew up in New Zealand here, you know, we talked about you being an Indian. Why, why is, but, you know, why is Tendulkar, why the love so much for him? So obviously cricket has been a massive uh, sport of mine. We talk about Michael Jordan and basketball and, and I guess there's some people around the world who will idolise Tom Brady in the same way now. But just for me, Tendulkar, he, um, he, he, he transcended the game for me of cricket. He was someone who, who grew up in, in a country that loves cricket so much. Mm. And he just, it would be so easy for someone like him to have a massive, massive ego. You know, not being able to go around India, being, you know, looked at as a well, part deity in, in his country, in his everyday life. And he's always been so down to earth. Even the stuff like I've seen that he's done in New Zealand with with kids and and with the media and, and with people, when he talks to, he could easily just walk away and not talk to them or do anything or mm. or make people's day. But he, he does that, and that I think is is important because he he was such a such a great player of the game. And Binksy, you're going to talk about someone we've talked about on the pod. Yeah, so look, I guess I racked my brains and I think when I was coming up with hundreds that were memorable, you know, the cliche one would have been that Kevin Peterson, 150-odd at the Oval, which saw us win the Ashes first time at, at that point, not in my lifetime, but certainly that I would have recalled watching. Um, Peterson also played a brilliant um, innings um, in Mumbai, 186 that won as a test match there and we went on to win in India for the first time in a long, long time as well. But for me, I've got to go with Graham Thorpe, who we have had on the pod. And I think I mentioned this when we when we talked to him on the podcast as well. I remember this vividly. He'd been out of the side for a while. He'd had some um, issues both with form, but also he'd been out of the side um, with some personal problems as well. We were playing against South Africa. It was Michael Vaughan's first series as captain. 2-1 down going into the final game at the Oval, which was Graham Thorpe's home ground for Surrey. Um and South Africa got a pretty good total in that first inning, so 480-odd in the first innings. Um, England replied with 600, a, a Marcus Truscothic double 100. Um, but Thorpe got to 120-odd, I think, 124. And the bit that really I recall was he was always one of those guys. He made his debut in the 93 Ashes, where we were just getting our asses handed to us um, in Ashes cricket for years and years and years. I loved Kookaburra when I was growing up as a kid. So the fact that he'd got that Kookaburra gold crown and later the bubble, um, I, look, I just really love seeing him. I love the way that he played. I love the way that he played spin, um, the way that he won as a game in Karachi in Pakistan. Um, but for him to come back at the age of 34, which when you put it into context, 
he was part of that real build-up to that Ashes and, you know, didn't make it to that 2005 Ashes. And if there was anyone that should have just held on for that, you know, that extra year, it would have been him. Um, but vividly remember I was playing a Prems game uh, for my club side then. Um, and it was the tea break when he was on, you know, 90-odd um, leading in. And w- both sides were in the tea room. Um, and we kind of both said to, you know, both sides said to the umpires, we're going to take an extra five or ten minutes here because we want to see this legend of the game um, get to his hundred as we all watched uh, watched that on the TV and resumed our second innings after tea um, a little bit late. So, you know, that was the one that really stuck out for me. Not perhaps a famous one, um, but one that certainly, uh, from my perspective, is one of my cricketing heroes. Geez, there were some performances in that game. I'm just looking at the scorecard. It was uh, England, South Africa scored 484 in the first innings and England replied with over 600, just over 600. There's a thousand runs in the first innings <laughs> that game. And that pitch was not poor as well. I didn't offer any assistance <laughs> at all uh, to seamers or, um, or, or, or spinners. Lippy, we've got to come to you last. You've got a New Zealand flavour to this as well. Yeah, look, I, I was I was also uh, tossing up between a couple here. I really, um, I've mentioned it to a couple of the guests that we've had. I keep bringing up Stephen Fleming's 100 in, in 2003 against South Africa in the, in the World Cup there. Just... I remember watching that game, and um, he just one of my flatmates went to bed. It's you know it was a, a you know late night game over here in New Zealand. One of them went to bed because you know South Africa had racked up this big score, and he thought, oh look, we just you know we can't ch- chase this down. I've got to you know got work the next day, and I just remember you know about halfway through Fleming's innings, going, he's going to win us this game here. He's just looking unbelievable. Boucher dropped him on about fifty, an absolutely regulation catch. And then it was just all over from there. And, and yeah, I absolutely loved that. Ran, ran into the uh, flatmate's room and woke him up at two o'clock in the morning and just shook him to, shook him to pieces and, uh, you know, have, have a great memory of doing that. But, you know, I actually just couldn't couldn't go past this moment from 1992. Martin Crow, you know, the, I was seven years, eight years old at this time. And, uh, yeah, just a special moment. Go for the big one. He can't just look for the one. He's going to want a six here. Two sixes, I suppose, of the last two balls. He's on 99, wars the bowler. And he's got it away. That's 100 for Ken. That's 100 for Crow. And they're off to the ground. Oh, no. They're invading the ground. Yeah, just look, you know, as I said, I was seven, eight years old when when this World Cup started, 92 World Cup. It's... It was really where kind of the young guns and, and New Zealand cricket it was in quite a, a tough time at that point. We were struggling for, for form. And this this World Cup in New Zealand kind of captured the attention of everyone and, you know, particularly me as a youngster. And, you know, we always love winning against Australia. I mentioned this. I look at Baldy every time I talk about New Zealand beating Australia because it just doesn't happen very often. And, and it set the tone for such an incredible campaign for New Zealand. They put out a, a Young Guns video, a three-hour video that I used to watch on repeat, you know, every single opportunity that I could. And, you know, he's going to, you know, late Martin Crow now, he's, you know, he's he's going to go down as, as one of our greatest batsmen of, of all time. And it was just such a, a magical moment in New Zealand cricket, I thought, for, for us to, you know, to, for him to win that game for New Zealand. Well, guys, that does wrap up this 100th episode um, of the podcast. I've got to say, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend well over 100 hours in a room with you guys um, talking cricket. 
um, since August 2019. I think we started this off. So um, I don't think we've got any plans um, to hang up the boots just yet. So um, I think we will see another bat raised for our double, hopefully sometime um, late in 2021. Um, but for now, it's good night. It's God bless from the Top Order podcast. Please dip back into the back catalogue. Um, and thank you very much for listening. See you soon.